How you doing? Awesome. What an introduction. Gosh. Uh, I think what David meant was 300,000 theater attendees. Although it's not about the size of the audience, but the size of our God, right? So anyway, um, enough Christianese, I promise. That's the last of it tonight. I, I do want to finish uh, the story that David started about me getting here. It is a total miracle. I really didn't think I would be here. <laughs> I really didn't. Um, the reason why is I, I left L.A. pretty early, um, Yes, I think yesterday, and I get into Dallas, and of course the flight is delayed, and it keeps getting delayed, and of course <laughs> what happens when you're sitting in, at the gate and somebody comes out and they say, oh, folks, uh, looks like the... Something's wrong with the spoiler, and everyone's like, spoiler? What is going on? And, you know, the woman comes out. She's like, I don't really know what a spoiler is, but I'm guessing that uh, we're going to be delayed about an hour, and that happened to, like, six times, you know? And then, of course, eventually the flight gets canceled, and um, I'm sitting there in, at the gate, and I'm probably 50 people behind to get my flight changed. And I'm thinking, man, there's no way this is going to work out. And David's calling me incessantly, you know, every five minutes. And I'm just like, David, I'm still in line, bro. Like, I'm still in line. I can't move. I don't want to cut these people. I'm a Christian. Like, we need, to, we need to find another way. And, of course, David's wife is praying, you know, faithfully the whole time. Like, God, you got this, you know. And David's freaking out. And I'm not praying either, okay. But basically what happens is, I'm, I'm in line. I'm in the back of the line. Okay, 50 people ahead of me. And all of a sudden, this guy, this other agent, he walks over to this other desk. He says, hey, I'll take the back of the line. So me and, you know, eight other people walk over to this other desk. So suddenly, I'm pretty close to the front of the line, which is great. Um, but every person ahead of me, and this is, this is a true story, every person ahead of me, they're like, well, there's no flights to Wichita tonight. You're going to have to go at 3 p.m. tomorrow. And I'm thinking... <laughs> Well, I got to speak at like, you know, 10 a.m. tomorrow. That's impossible. I can't be there. And well, I guess we're going to have to reschedule or I'm going to have to drive there or something. Or David's saying he's got a pilot friend that can come pick me up in a prop land, which may or may not be true given how much I know about David. I don't know. Um, but, but I'm sitting there in line and I get to the front and um, I look at this guy and I, oh, hey guys up there, sorry. Um, I, I, I look at him and I go, look, bro. I got to get to this Christian college, okay? I'm speaking there. It's a big deal. And he goes, no joke. This guy looks at me in the eye and goes, oh, you're doing work for the Lord. (laughs) He's like, well, we got to get you there, don't we? (laughs) And I go, "Uh, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Sure, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. And he's looking at his computer. And you know how that works, right? Like, he's at his computer. I don't know what he's typing in or, like, how, he, how that system works. And he's typing. He's like, okay, you know. And I go, are there any flights to Wichita? And he says, well, there's no flights to Wichita. And I go, then we can't get me there, you know. And he says, well, maybe Kansas City, Oklahoma City. And then all of a sudden, his eyes just open up, right? And he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> There's one more seat to Wichita at 9.35. Everyone behind me is just pissed, so pissed. Everyone in front of me is like, no way, are you kidding me? What just happened? So I get the last seat on this plane to Wichita, and I'm sitting there at the gate afterwards, and I'm praying and just thanking God, and I'm just like, man, that's so cool. I got to see God do that. I mean, it's totally worth the delay and whatever, and uh, I'm praying. I'm like super hungry. I hadn't eaten all day. And I was like, I don't want to spend money right now, whatever. And all of a sudden, Leroy, the guy who's, you know, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, 
I'm so sorry. Did you get something to eat? Here's a meal voucher. So I go to Subway, and then I say, you know, now I'm here. I mean, amazing, right? I mean, that's so cool. Yeah, you can clap that up. Gosh, I love that kind of stuff. Like, that's the reason why I come here. So anyway, good morning. Um, my name is Brian. Again, I'm 25 years old, and uh, I did not attend a Christian, a private Christian university um, at USC in Southern California. Uh, we don't have Bible classes we, don't, we do not have chapel services or convocations like this. Um, you might call it a secular college. Um, your teachers might call it Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, before coming to faith in college, however, I was in a really, really, really bad rock band called Arts and Crafts. Um, I was the lead singer. This is true. I hope this isn't being recorded. Oh, this is being recorded, isn't it? Um, <laughs> okay, you can't find it on YouTube. I'm sorry, I know, okay. But uh, I was in this really bad rock band. You know, between classes, I would listen to a lot of Green Day, not to be confused with Third Day. <laughs> yeah, all right. And um, the ladies, well, the ladies had a lot shorter skirts than Jesus, so I was much more interested in a personal relationship with one of them. Now, um, I, I can't promise that today's talk will have a lot of Christianese, um, and that's probably a good thing. And I can't promise that I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis like every pastor ever. Um, but what I can promise you is that today's talk will be honest. And the reason why I think that's important, of course, is because if you didn't know, outside of the Bible Belt or the Christian ghetto, um, most people think Christians or evangelicals are dishonest, inauthentic, bigoted, backwards, backwoods, the most uh, inauthentic people on planet Earth. And so I try to come here to not BS anybody because I think that's important to understand that God is an authentic God and he can be experienced. Um, outside of the bubble which I didn't grow up in again, which is probably great, but um, outside of it, pastors are those who steal money from their congregations and sleep with their secretary. Evangelists are those who, who hang a sign up that say, says turn or burn outside of the sports stadium. And, and Christian kids are just those who believe in Jesus because their parents would be upset if they didn't. And that's the real thing. Um, but to be honest with you, um, growing up, I, I thought evangelicals were like children of the corn, Okay. I was terrified. Like, I wanted nothing, nothing to do with them. I thought they kind of foamed at the mouth, you know. I just, I didn't really want to hang out with them. I didn't really like church either. And I think that's why I get asked to come to a lot of these places. Um, it's because um, they want me to share that story, the story of the boy, of the young man who did not want to become a Christian, but did. So that's the story I want to share with all of you guys today. Um, ever since I was nine years old, I wanted to make movies. Ever since I knew you could make movies and not just watch them, that's what I wanted to do. I remember the first time I ever held a camera, I was holding it up and looking and pointing it out at the sky, and all of a sudden a bird flies through the frame. Sounds kind of silly, but for me, there was something so permanent about that. I love being able to keep something, like preserve something I saw and keep it. Like Michael J. Fox, the star of Back to the Future, would say, uh, pain is temporary, but film is forever. So um, that was how I grew up. And uh, what I found out later, of course, I loved movies growing up. I actually loved movies more than anything, more than my parents. And uh, what I found out later, of course, is whatever you love the most is your God. Whatever you love the most is your God. And that's true if you just look at the Ten Commandments. God says, have no other gods before me. That's his first thing. Love me the most. I created you. I created everything. I own everything. Love me the most. And whatever I loved the most was my God. And that was definitely movies at the time. Every summer growing up, 
I would wrangle together all the neighborhood kids. I would go door to door like a Jehovah's Witness, and I would, I would say, okay, come on. I want to make a movie this summer. It's going to be awesome. And I would wrangle together all the kids who looked most like trolls or elves, and I would make some version of Lord of the Rings or, or Harry Potter, and we, we'd jump the back fence. And I even, uh, I even cast my brother as James Bond in my original film, James Bond. But uh, the point was that we were doing something adventurous, and we knew there had to be more to life. There had to be more than what we could see, and we knew that then. Of course, when you get to high school and college, you start exploring that through different avenues, right? Through drugs and sex and alcohol and all this stuff. But when you're a kid, it's like, no, there's just got to be something more. It's why, that's why we become artists and musicians, not just bankers, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's why we have this longing, this existential crisis. Like, there's got to be something else. It's not just me, right? And then everybody else kind of... It's like you're a tuning fork, and everybody understands that when you say it. And so that was how I grew up. In high school, I was the captain of the soccer team. I was leading the school play. I was the president of the high school, and I spoke in a lot of occasions like this. I, I thought of myself as a pretty good person, mostly because I didn't understand that there's a huge difference between being a nice person and being a good person. And uh, I, was, I was confused, but I was searching. And um, time passed, and I continued to attend church, kind of like Christmas and Easter, a C&E family. Then I got into USC film school. If you've never been to USC, has anybody ever been to USC film school or USC campus before? You raise your hand. Yes, one, one guy. Yes, awesome. So if you've ever been there, okay, when you walk through the iron gates of USC, Steven Spielberg's name is etched in stone right up here. And George Lucas's name is etched in stone over here, and you feel immediately inadequate, especially when you realize that Steven Spielberg didn't get in to USC and then bought the school later, and, which is awesome, by the way. I mean, good for him, right? But um, that's where I went to school, and I made this really serious mistake of rooming with an evangelical Christian named Will Tober, and I called him God's Will. And... Uh, it works down here when I say that. Um, but Will and I would stay up really late talking about deep theological concerns like why would a good God allow suffering? Like what happens to the guy on the deserted island that's never heard of Jesus? You know, Did Adam have a belly button? Think about that. Probably not. I mean, that's kind of weird, but you know. Okay, so we would, we would talk about that kind of stuff, and, and Will was so authentic and so real. And he was this evangelical kid, but he, a lot of the times he would just say, look, Brian, I don't know if Adam had a belly button. Is that okay? And I'd be like, all right, you know. And what was good about that is, is I learned that I don't know is an answer. Um, a lot of people think if they grow up in church, well, they can't say I don't know, or they can't doubt, and they can't deal with real things. But if you never do that, then you never get real understanding, and you just kind of skate along the surface. So that's okay. That's good. And that's what Will and I would do all the time. Um, Will would always invite me to these, like, creepy campus ministry things. It's probably something you guys do all the time. But... <laughs> Okay, but for me, it was weird, okay? And so we would, he would invite me to this thing. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes. Um, so he would invite me. He'd say, hey, Brian, we got to go to this campus thing. You know, we're playing, in my translation, it's mediocre rock music, alternative music, and we're high-fiving God. It's, like, really dark in there, you know, the whole thing. And I was just like, no, dude, yeah, that sounds awful. Like, I'd rather do anything. Kill me now. And so, but I, I, I thought it was a tad desperate. The thing that you realize, though... When you go to USC and you live in the dorms, or really any college university like that, is that everyone is just trying to get through life one way or another. 
everyone's just trying to get through and pretend everything's fine. Whether it's drugs or sex or alcohol or grades, we were all pretending that death did not matter and that life was best lived like a Netflix binge. That was our life. And I got to see that, and that was real to me. Um, Then, on June 20th, 2011, I read a Los Angeles Times article called South Korean Pastor Tends an Unwanted Flock. Totally not related to my life at all at the time. Again, I'm not Korean. I'm from Orange County. So I'm reading this article, and I'm seeing this guy's life, and it kind of blew me away. At the time, he had rescued about 38 children off the street. We're talking kids that were left on the street, in the cold, or on a mountainside, or in in a dumpster somewhere. He was pulling them off the street, and he had built this box into his wall, like you saw in the video a little bit. And at, at the time, it was 38. To date, it's been over 940 kids. So I read this article automatically, okay? You know my, my spiritual life. I was pretty much kind of like an, uh, what's called, I, I believe, an easy believism. Essentially what that is is, you know, I think God exists or there's something more, but I don't really have a relationship with that in any, any way that's tangible. There's just got to be something else. So I read this, and I see this man's life, and I think, man, there's something so real about this guy that it makes my life look really fake. And I got to find out what that is. I got to find out what he has. I want to understand it. And so I immediately decide to send an email to the Los Angeles Times. Now, if you've ever tried to do that for any reason, you don't just get a reply just because you're a nice guy, okay? But within 30 seconds, I get an email back with all of the pastor's contact information from a correspondent in Korea, which is a total anomaly. And so from there, and if we're being honest, I pretended I had an assistant, um, And um, she sent an email to Pastor Lee. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The board is like, who did we invite? Oh, gosh. And so I sent an email to... Sheila sent an email. I sent an email to Pastor Lee. Google translated this message. Hi, Pastor Lee. This is Sheila with Brian Ivy, director. He's a big deal. You know, he goes to USC Film School, and he'd like to make a movie about your life. How do you think we can go about making that happen? And uh, you know, so we send this email off to you know Pastor Lee at Honmail.net or whatever it was, and uh, don't hear back for a month. Of course not. Why would we ever hear back? This is a total pipe dream. This is never going to happen. You're not going to make a movie about this guy in Korea. It's never going to exist. Then all of a sudden, I get an email from Pastor Lee, clearly Google translated back to me, okay? And it says this, and this is from him directly. It says, Dear Sheila, don't know what mean to make documentary about my life, but you can come live with me if you want. (laughs) And so... What do you do when that happens? You go. I mean, you send an email back. Okay, see you soon, Pastor Lee. And so the problem was, of course, we had no money. Okay, we're in college. We don't have any money. And at the time, there was this new platform online. And, of course, you know what it is now. But at the time, it was not really in vogue yet. It was called Kickstarter. Does everybody know what that is now? Okay. For those who don't, Kickstarter is an online crowdfunding platform where you basically set a financial goal right? For a piece of technology or an album or a movie that you want to make. And then you just beg all of your friends and family to help you reach the goal, right? And so we were going to set a $5,000 goal to make this film called The Dropbox. And I'm sitting at my computer and God's will, my friend, um, is basically like, hey, um, I think God can do more than $5,000. I think you're, you're just not having enough faith, you know, something like that. I was like, 
Okay. And so I'm hearing him say that, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, you know what? And I post a $20,000 goal, and we raised all the money. 10 to $20 at a time from people all around the world, people like you that I'd never met before in my whole life, and a lot of Christian people. And they would send me messages like, God bless you, bless you, you know, in his service. And I'd be like, sure. <laughs> and, and it was fascinating process. So we raised $20,000. And then the day that we raised all of the money, I got an email from a friend of a friend saying, hey, I want you to talk to this guy on the phone. You've never met him before, but it could mean you can get some more help for your film. And so I get on the phone with this guy. I never met him before. He goes, hi, Brian. I'd like to double the money you just raised on Kickstarter. Would that be okay with you? And I said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to know why. I mean, why would he give me uh, another $20,000 to go make this movie? I mean, I had no credibility. I'd never made a documentary in my life. I'd really done not much at all as a filmmaker. And that should be encouraging to you. But, um, <laughs> but he said, it's important. You'll understand later. I'll never forget those words. He, says, he said, it's, it's important. You'll understand later. So he gave me another $20,000. A few days after that, I get another phone call, very similar. Hi, Brian, friend of a friend. I'd like to give you another $25,000 to go make your movie. Now, for a kid with no money in college, he's trying to make a short film. That was the goal, 10-minute short film about this pastor, go to Sundance Film Festival, you know, have this life and this career. And um, I said, a similar question, well, why would you do that? And it's, it's important, you'll understand later, something to that effect, right? And then a few, a few days after that, I get another phone call. Hi, Brian, friend of a friend. And I'm thinking, do you have $25,000, right? <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah, you know, I could give you $25,000. I could charter a plane for you, essentially carte blanche. What do you need? But I knew who this was this time, and her name was Laura. And um, her husband co-founded, uh, ran a company called Oakley, Everybody know that company? Sunglasses? Okay, I'm sure you do. But um, sunglasses, goggles, like huge optics company, okay? So I go, Laura, you know, I know that your husband founded a company called Oakley, and I also know that Oakley started another company called Red Digital Cinema. And I know that, and it's a camera company, and I, I know that Red Digital Cinema is providing all of the camera equipment for Peter Jackson to shoot the Hobbit movie right now in New Zealand. And I was just wondering if you would buy me a red camera for $50,000. <laughs> and she said, of course I will. So I walked into Red Headquarters in Irvine and walked out with a $50,000 camera. And $65,000 later, me and 10 of my friends, who had no business making a movie, flew 6,000 miles to Seoul, South Korea to make a documentary short film on the man who built a mailbox for abandoned babies. And although I thought I was just there to help this man or show this man or film this man saving babies off the street, I had no idea that God was going to save me. Because I didn't know I needed to be. And I think that's a lot of us. A lot of people don't believe they need to be saved. And I understand that. Um, because there's been a lot of preaching that makes it seem like the only bad people on earth are those that kill people um, or run a cartel, right? Um, and that's partially because it's not preached enough that who you are inside is just as much who you are. And inside, I was a pretty disgusting guy. When I got back um, from this trip to South Korea, I... Um, I continued in my conversations and searching and trying to understand what I believed and what really mattered and what the truth was. Not just what was good enough for me, but what was the truth? What was ultimately going to be true as soon as I died? 
because some reality was going to be true. And I wanted to understand what that was. And so I would listen to sermons. I would listen to preachers, like I'm preaching at you. And they would tell me different things. And, but the, the common theme, of course, was the gospel message. And I would listen to the sermon. At one time, um, I was listening to, to this sermon called, What Did Jesus Accomplish on the Cross? Okay? Um, and I, before I had gone on this trip to South Korea, I had purchased a cross necklace on Amazon for $8 right? Mostly because I wanted the pastor to relate to me or something, you know, like trust me in some way that I had this cross necklace. And I was, he's like, okay, this guy, he knows what he's doing. Like, yeah, um, of course, um, that's really not what it's about. And we've all heard about the cross. Obviously you guys have throughout your whole life. If you grew up here, whether in church or maybe in the movies lately. Um, but at some point the cross cannot just be something that you buy on Amazon for $8. It has to be what bought you. And when I was listening to this sermon called What Did Jesus Accomplish on the Cross, this pastor did not mince words about what happened to Jesus, that he was brutalized and murdered, and more importantly, that he took our place. And this pastor quoted this verse from the Bible that I had never heard before, mostly because I'd never read the Bible before, okay? And it was this, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. And like a movie, in my own head, I start seeing Jesus Christ take my place throughout my entire story. My story, not somebody else's story, my story. In front of a computer, addicted to pornography, pants around his ankles, in abusive relationships with women, screaming and yelling at my parents, a lot of different places, and ultimately on the cross, the one place where I didn't have to go if I would let Jesus go in my place. So if you're here today and you don't know what you believe, that's okay. Talk about it with somebody, but realize that there is a massive, massive difference between saying that you believe at some point in history this Jesus guy did all of this and that at some point in history this Jesus guy did all of this for you. Massive, massive difference that I realized. On that day, uh, I started crying over my computer. The same computer that I've been addicted to pornography on for about five years of my life. I was totally broken. I had no vocabulary for this. Later on, somebody told me that's called repentance. I had no idea, but I knew I was sorry, deeply sorry. Not only that I had hurt women and family and friends, but God's heart, and it broke me down. I hated myself that day because I realized what I had really done. And yet at the same time, I felt more love than I'd ever felt in my whole life. Because I knew in that moment for the first time that God loved the real me. Not the one I put on display for my friends, not the kid in the Christmas photos, but the addict and the abuser and the punk kid from Orange County who everybody called a good person. And that kind of love makes a mockery of the movies. A mockery of the movies. And it has completely changed my life. Today, I have been free of pornography for three and a half years. I'm married to a beautiful woman who loves me unconditionally. My former atheist brother is a Christian. My former New Age mother is a Christian. I have completely new desires to put others above myself. I still get angry, but now I don't like it. I still lust, but now I fight it. Church isn't boring. In fact, it's exhilarating. Making movies is something I do, not who I am, and God is a person, not some impersonal force, and that's what the Bible would call a new creation, and if somebody doesn't say amen at some point... Come on, somebody. Thank you.
like I said, I don't know exactly what it's like to go to a Christian high school or a Christian college or to grow up in the church. I just don't. In many ways, I'm jealous of you. I wish I had listened to Adventures in Odyssey growing up or Veggie Tales, Bob the Tomato. I don't even know who that is. People keep saying Bob the Tomato, and I'm just, Bob the Tomato, you know? <laughs> Somebody explain that to me later. Um, but <laughs> I think you said that to me earlier. Okay, but I, but I do know, what I do know for sure is that we're all looking for something real. We are all looking for something we can actually sink our teeth into, something that's actually permanent, something that doesn't fall through our hands like sand. And you know what's, what, what's real to anybody, no matter what they believe? Pain. Uh, weakness. Loneliness. Depression. The sense that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And that's how I felt. And I found my answer. Um, when I do interviews about uh, my story, about my testimony, about coming to faith in college and all those sorts of things and about movies, people always ask me this question, which is so interesting, and maybe it's just because I'm a millennial or whatever that means. And they always say, why do you think people are just walking away from their faith all the time? What is it about the church today? I mean, why are, why are they walking away from church? And um, obviously, I don't have a perfect answer for that. I can't fully explain why that is. People have different reasons. But I think one of the biggest reasons for that is that the Bible makes our version of Christianity in America oftentimes look very fake. Very fake. And I think we all know that because we rarely get to see somebody living by real faith, like laying it all on the line. And I got to see that in South Korea because Pastor Lee, although he's celebrated as a hero by the whole world now, Pastor Lee was a violent drunk a terrible guy who had aborted children with disabilities that he found out in utero because he didn't want anything to do with that kind of baggage in his life. And then when he got saved, he started adopting. And he's adopted 15 children with disabilities. That's mind-boggling to me. And he lives every single, life, every single day in a way that makes no sense to the rest of the world. And that was what was so real about his life. He wasn't living for this however many years we have. Prince just died at 57. He wasn't living for 57. He was living for, for forever. And that was so real that it made my life seem fake. And it's changed everything for me. And when you experience that kind of faith and that kind of life and you get that kind of reality and you're around it, even when you're near it, it makes college parties look like kids playing in the mud. And it makes the American dream look like a reboot of Full House. No offense. <laughs> I know it's not easy to trust God all the time. <laughs> I know it's not. It's confusing. It's hard. When I try to share the gospel on an airplane, sometimes I chicken out. It's it's not easy. You don't, nobody likes being rejected. But when you really step out in faith and you see God swoop in and do something that's impossible for you to do, it becomes impossible to live for anything less than that. Impossible. And that's what builds your faith. Over the past year, I've been doing some research on a, what was called the last great spiritual awakening in America, the Jesus Movement. I'm sure some of the older folks know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jesus freaks, right? Hippies, 1960s, 70s. Jesus is better than hash, okay? That was like the slogan. Everybody know what hash is? I'm so sorry if I'm <laughs> indoctrinating. Okay, but basically, 
The idea was Jesus was better, but what, was, what characterized that movement was what's called direct personal evangelism, and that's what I want to talk about. Direct personal evangelism, it meant they had their Bible at their side, a big black Bible, and they would walk up to random people, and they would just say, hey man, you know Jesus loves you, and then they would talk to them about it. Amazing. And I started doing research on this movement for a movie that I'm making called The Jesus Revolution, okay? And I'm reading about these guys, and I'm reading about them doing all this stuff, you know, taking action, not just hearing the word, but doing the word, walking up to random people, being willing, having the capacity to be rejected by people all the time. And I'm thinking, I got to be a Jesus freak. Like, I'm not just going to read this stuff. Like, I want to go out there. And so, this is what I do. (laughs) I was listening to a pastor named David Platt. Does everybody know who that is? Okay, David Platt, right? Awesome guy, radical guy, right? But, like, one guy got that. Okay, orange book, get it, it's good. Okay, so David talked about how he used to do street evangelism when he was in his 20s in um, the voodoo district of New Orleans. And he would put up a sign that said, I'll tell your fortune for free. And people would come up to him all the time, and he would just be like, Hey, man, you want to know where you're headed after you die? You know, that kind of thing. And then he would have conversations and reach hundreds of people. So I decided to go to Staples, and I make a huge sign that says, I'll tell your fortune for free. And I get some lawn chairs and a table, and I sit in the middle of Venice Beach. Okay? Just me. This is about, like, nine, ten months ago. Okay? I've been doing it every weekend. So I sit in the middle of Venice Beach, and everybody just starts laughing at me. You know, we got, a, we got guys over here doing break dancing, and then there's a guy over here walking on glass. And I'm like, you're laughing at me? Laughing at me? Come on. And so I'm sitting in the middle of Venice Beach, never done anything like this before, and all of a sudden, a few people start coming up to me. Atheists, agnostics, Satanists, Hare Krishnas, Buddhists, and I just start having these conversations. And basically, this is how I do it, okay? I make these little fortune cookies, okay? (laughs) Silly. But it's effective. And I say, and it says, you know, are you ready for the most honest fortune of your life? Everyone's going to die. We just don't know when. And so I have this conversation, and I say, you get three options, okay? Either you die and nothing happens, you die and you automatically get reincarnated as something cool like an animal or whatever, or you automatically go to paradise. Um, Or third, you're a sinner, so you need a savior. Pick. And usually people pick number two, right? They pick, okay, well, I'm a good person, so I'm probably going to get reincarnated as like a cheetah, or I'm serious, okay? Um, And what's amazing about this process, though, is that most people I've met have never heard the gospel before. Never in their life. I share the gospel with them, and they go, hey, I'm, thank you. I mean, I've never heard that before. This is the majority of my conversations, as if, as if this is like news to everyone, which is an important point here. Um, but one time I was out there, and uh, the night before I went out there, I had a dream about a whale. A little weird, okay? A whale washes up on shore. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird, God. Like, what does that mean? You speak to people in dreams sometimes. Like, how am I supposed to understand that? So I go out to Venice, and I set up my whole setup, and it says, I'll tell your fortune for free. I've got my fortune cards, and I've got my chairs, you know, one for the person, one for me. And this girl immediately comes up to me, and she says, hey, I'm a witch. And I go, excuse me? She says, I'm into Wicca. I'm a, I'm a witch. You know, I'm really into magic. And I was like, sweet. Do you want to be into Jesus? Um, <laughs> She's like, I don't know. Tell me about them. So I say this. I always say this. I start with something that's very neutral, like common ground. I say, what we can all agree on is that all men doubt the existence of God sometimes, 
and that some men doubt the existence of God all the time. But we all feel alienated, like there's something preventing us from getting close to that higher power or that being or God that we want to be close to. And the Christian explanation for that corresponding reality is sin, that God's holy and we're not, and we need somebody to take care of this because this is separating us from God. And Jesus came to die to remove that so man and God could be reconnected. And that's what you're actually looking for in magic. And she goes, yeah, that's what I need. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait. You didn't hear me. <laughs> you're supposed to be really mad. You're supposed to be offended. You're supposed to hate me. You're supposed to walk away. She says, no, no, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Actually, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I'm actually leaving the country in an hour. And I go, excuse me? She says, I'm leaving the country in, the, in an hour. I'm not even supposed to be here. I don't even know why I'm here right now, but I just felt like I was supposed to be here. Now I'm talking to you about this, and this is what I've been looking for. This is what I need. And then she goes, oh, yeah, uh, in, in regards to your question about, you know, those three points, like reincarnation, I would want to be a whale. <laughs> and I said, yes, you would. <laughs> God is alive, okay? So... My brother's on campus. I tell my brother this story. He goes onto his campus, okay, to try to interview people. My brother's a voice actor, which is awesome. Go KevinIvy.com, check it out. And Kevin's on campus with his microphone. He's talking to people. This is the first time he's ever done it. This was like a few weeks ago, okay? Fresh miracle. He's walking around campus talking to people about their faith, wondering what they believe. He does a little podcast called What in the Worldview. He goes up to this kid, um, this first group. They, they're not really that interested. He's trying his best, and he kind of gives up immediately because it's disheartening. Like, nobody likes to be rejected. All of a sudden, he sees this foreign exchange student sitting on on a bench, and he's like, I don't really have time. I got to go to class. I got like five minutes. So he walks up to this kid, very reluctant, and the kid starts talking to him. And Kevin says, Hey, what do you think? You know, happens after you die? What do you believe? And the kid just says, You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. Actually, I just went to Easter service for the first time. I'm actually reading the book Mere Christianity. You ever heard of it? Kevin's like, Yeah, I've heard of it. Oh my gosh, you want to hear the gospel? He's like, Totally. I'd love to hear the gospel. I'm really interested. He's a Chinese reading Mere Christianity in Chinese. Okay, um, a couple weeks ago. When I was going to another event at Houston Christian Academy, I get into my Uber, okay? And I always try to share the gospel with my Uber driver because it's just me and him or me and her. And, you know, it's just us in the cab. What, what, is it, what are they going to do? They can't run. You know, they're driving me somewhere. I'm paying them, okay? So basically, I'm sitting next to this guy, and he's all of a sudden just starts this verbal assault against me, against Christianity. Didn't, doesn't know I'm a believer. Just like, I hate Christians. They're so bigoted. They're so backwards. I can't stand them. I hear them on the news, and I just want to curl up into the fetal position. I just want nothing to do with religion. I walked away from it 20 years ago. He's from Ethiopia. He's one of eight kids. Okay, his name's Makonan. And he said, my dad was killed by the Egyptian government because of what he believed. I don't want to believe in that. I don't want that lifestyle. And I go, dude, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I hope this isn't awkward. I feel really awkward, uncomfortable right now. Um, But look, Jesus would agree with you, okay? Because he was saying, oh, I hate the hypocrites. And I said, I get it. I get it. Jesus came because he understood that people are either going to run away from God through irreligion, like drugs, sex, rock and roll, or religion, trying to be a good person. And he said the people he was most harsh with were the Pharisees, the people who were giving lip service, but in their hearts, they weren't really for God. And I said, Jesus would agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, Dude, you need forgiveness too, man. We all need it. So we have this conversation, and I'm being just really authentic, as honest as I can with him, talking about my sin, my past, the stuff I needed forgiveness for as just the clean-cut American kid who nobody thought needed to be saved. And I get out of the car, and I'm going to give him a $5 bill because that's all I had. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I wish I had more. You know how Uber works, right? You can't, you can't tip them on your phone or whatever. And he just, like, knocks my hand away. And I'm just like, oh, no, what did I do? I just blew this, like, gosh, I can't believe it. And he looks at me. 20 years of walking away from God, he just says, 
you may have just changed my whole life. Keep telling people what you told me. Keep telling people what you told me. It could change theirs too. I got a lot of these. And the reason why I wanted to tell you those stories today um, is because this happens all the time when you're living by faith, when you're stepping out, because God promises to be with you in power, just like the Bible, when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, when you're being a leader like that. Because to me, being a servant leader is simply doing it now, person to person. Mother Teresa said something amazing once. She said, don't wait for leaders. Do it now, person to person, right? And so what I love about that is it frees you guys from feeling like you have to have a platform first before you can start doing stuff like this. Who am I? Honestly, the reason why a lot of these administrators invite me to come speak is because they, they want me to say, hey, look, if this guy can be used of God, anyone can. Seriously, I've gotten that in like descriptions about why they want me to come speak. And I'm, I welcome that because that should be freeing to you, right? And it doesn't have to look exactly like mine. I have a good friend who does magic tricks. He uses cards and he goes around Vegas and he shares the gospel. He's like, hey man, you want to see a magic trick? Sure. You know what's better than magic? great, you know, amazing. So this is what's out there for you, conditionally upon you stepping out in faith. So um, to me, being a servant leader isn't about being on stage. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about having a lot of followers. It's not about having a cool haircut or cool clothes or anything like that. I think it's just about looking at the person in your cab, looking at the person in your classroom, on your iPhone contacts, on your Facebook feed, on your Twitter feed, and trying to get in front of them and tell them where to find real life. That's what being a leader is about, telling them where to find real life and building up a capacity to be rejected. Um, If I could leave you with one mental picture just one minute, if you haven't, if none of this has resonated with you, just please remember this. The Bible is not like a painting in a museum that you look at and think, I wish I could paint like that. The Bible is a window into a different life. And it's not easier. It's a lot harder, but it's a lot better. And what Whatever it takes for you to get that window open and jump out, even if it's eight stories up and you have to tie together some sheets to climb down, get out into that life. And you won't walk away because you'll see God show up way too much. And it will become impossible to live for these petty things, these vain things that the world lives for, I assure you. This is not just for evangelists or speakers that come to your school or rock star Christians. It's for anybody who really wants to sink their teeth into this Christian life. And that's the honest truth. Thank you.